for the last few weeks, uh, with a couple of interruptions along the way, I've been preaching on our peace in Christ out of Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we come in uh, the providence of God. I, I didn't plan it this way, but uh, it is interesting to me that on the day uh, when we celebrate Memorial Day, when we commemorate and honor uh, the over a million people who died in battle, actually died in battle, fighting this nation's battles, and that doesn't include, of course, those in the rebelling states in the Civil War, over half a million died in battle just on the northern side in the Civil War alone. We commemorate them all. And uh, uh, we try then to honor them and, uh, as best we can. And I hope you'll all remember that uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, that it's not just a day for hamburgers and hot dogs, but it's a day to remember and to honor and to memorialize those who have served uh, and gave the ultimate sacrifice. In that uh, day, and as our celebration of that, it's interesting that we're going to be in Ephesians 2, 19, 20, 21, and 22, which talks about, of other things, our citizenship. Let's stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also were builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit." And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. There are those and have been throughout all of our history who have believed that uh, the truth about our peace in Christ requires that those who be the true followers of Jesus uh, to be pacifists. Uh, that has never been the position of Baptist people. And uh, I don't believe personally that uh, the Bible requires that of us. I'm going to show you why right quick. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And I believe that one passage alone then makes it possible for Christians, committed Christians, to both serve God and serve their country, uh, even if that means being sent into battle. I respect those who have stood for different convictions. After all, it is America, and one of the things we do is we let people believe what they want to believe. We might try to influence them. Uh, we do that. Change their thinking. We all want to think biblically about any issue. Uh, but we respect those who have different ideas. So if you don't agree with me this morning that it's possible for a person to be a good Christian and a good soldier, to serve God and serve their country, and, and yes, maybe even fight and even give their life in battle. Maybe you don't share that conviction. I respect you. I hope you respect me because I believe in other ways. Never given the opportunity uh, to serve in the armed forces. If you would have asked me when I was growing up, Rich, what are you going to be when you grow up? 
My answer was always the same. I want to be a sailor uh, like my Uncle James. Right up until I was 14 years old and God called me to preach, my plans obviously changed. I was a pastor, a youth pastor at 19. I was a pastor, senior pastor at the age of 20. Uh, I did not have the opportunity to serve in the armed services. I didn't. God had other plans. Um, but I'm very thankful and remain so for all those who have served both in my family and in the churches that I've served all these many years. Our text today, though, is, is coming to the conclusion about the idea and the expression of our peace in Christ. I call this message a collage of blessings, and I do so because the inspired writer, the Apostle Paul, gives to us uh, three different scenes, three different groups of pictures, if you will, to describe how that this peace in Jesus Christ that we all enjoy plays out in the lives of God's children. And the first scene that he gives to us is a scene of citizenship. We're no longer strangers, he says, and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. He would go on and show us a family scene because we're also members of the household of God. And then he goes to the construction arena and he shows us a building scene and how that we as believers are being built together by God as a habitation, a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. Three different scenes. Three different groups of pictures, images, uh, drawing things to our mind for us to consider how that peace that we have in Jesus Christ plays out. And the first is that scene of citizenship. Now for reasons that are beyond the scope of our message this morning, the whole idea of citizenship has turned into a hot-button topic in America today. But I want you to know that the Bible addresses citizenship in ways that were easily understood and clearly identified. Paul perhaps is the best example, the writer of these very words as far as the human author is concerned because Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a citizen of the city-state of Rome that was a controlling influence over most of the known world as he lived. Roman citizenship was no small thing. It was something greatly coveted after and that oftentimes came at a very, very high price. But Paul made it clear uh, in his discussion in Acts chapter uh, 20 uh, that he was freeborn. That is, he was born to Roman citizens, uh, therefore he was a Roman citizen by birth. Now the other aspect of citizenship that is most commonly addressed in Scripture uh, is that a person was a citizen of what Paul called in Ephesians 2 and 12 earlier in this chapter, what he called the commonwealth of Israel. And um, how that those who were Gentiles were without Christ, they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, they were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes who were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So the Apostle Paul not only had Roman citizenship and he was born into it, 
but he was also a citizen of Israel. Again, that was no small thing. Uh, for the most part, the only way that you could be a part of the nation of Israel was to be born into it. Now, there were ways that you could be associated with it. You could get near to it or close to it. Uh, there certainly were at times, like Ruth, we said it about a few weeks ago, uh, who became a part of the commonwealth of Israel through her marriage to Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. God had provided some ways whereby people who were not born as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could become a part of the commonwealth of Israel. But even then, there were barriers that would never be overcome. And to be a true blue descendant or a child of Israel or one of the children of God, basically, you had to be a descendant, physical descendant, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That was it. In fact, it was very common for them to say, but you know, I would like to be a citizen of Israel. And I know I'm, I'm not a descendant of Abraham, but I want to be a part. What would I have to do? There was a common answer. You'd have to be born again. That's what they said. And maybe now you understand why that Jesus was... Uh, so incredulous in a way with Nicodemus when he said, are you a master of Israel and you don't understand what I mean when I said Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus knew. But he didn't understand, of course, how that could apply to him. Mystified. But it wasn't that the terminology was unfamiliar with, uh, uh, to him. He knew about it. It was very commonly used. Paul then, as a citizen of both Rome and Israel, we also know that he was a leader, if not the rabbi, of the distinguished synagogue of the Libertines in Jerusalem. They're mentioned in Acts chapter 6 and verse 9 as they contended with a man named Stephen, and it resulted in the first Christian martyr. You remember when the men were stoning Stephen to death, they laid their clothes, their cloaks, at the feet of one Saul. That's right, this guy. Citizen of Rome. Citizen of Israel. But you know, Paul presents an idea of citizenship in this passage that had nothing to do with physical parentage. Because you can't be born into it. When it comes to being a citizen of this kingdom, as Paul is presenting it in our text in Ephesians chapter 2, you have to be born again into it. It's not your first birth that gets you uh, to be a citizen of this kingdom, but it is your second birth, and that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. He presents then our spiritual citizenship in Christ as being greater than, more significant than, either one of the citizenships that he held or even of the citizenships on earth that we hold. It's great to be a part of this great country. It is. I'm thankful for it. Uh, but the benefits and blessings that we have by being a citizen of the United States of America are only for time. 
When I die, whatever benefit those were, for the most part, are going to be gone, although they might continue uh, through certain benefits that I might leave behind for my children, for my grandchildren. For the most part, as far as I'm concerned, being a citizen of this country is only for time. But being a citizen of the kingdom of Christ is forever and ever and ever and ever, like Randy Travis said, and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Lasts forever. Never stops. Throughout all eternity, we're going to be enjoying the blessings and privileges of being in Christ because we are a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 puts it very plainly. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. What this means in a practical way is that once we were strangers and foreigners, who and what will we strangers to and foreigners from? We were strangers to the covenant blessings of God. We were foreigners in the sense that we had no relationship with God or with His people. The promises of the Bible might have been something we could hear, hear about, but they meant nothing to us. We were strangers and foreigners. But now, he says, in Jesus Christ, God's covenant and blessings to us have been extended fully because we have believed on Jesus Christ. Through his death, full citizenship is now not in Abraham, it is in Christ. Earlier in the chapter, he had talked about how that we are made nigh by the blood of Christ, but now he goes further. We're not just close to it. <laughs> we are full participants, full citizens. We have complete access to all of God's covenant blessings in Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 tells us how this happens. And I want you to notice very plainly, you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. They tell you something this morning. If you're a child of God today, you're a child of God because you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Next sentence, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, being a good Baptist that we are, every time we see the word baptism in Scripture, we think about what happens up here in the baptistry when we put somebody down in the water. Now, that is a symbol. It is a symbolic act. It is a figurative expression. But that is not, there is no water in this passage at all. The word baptize comes from a Greek word baptizo, very famous word, and it means to put into. It was very commonly used. They used it all the time. It meant to put into. You took one thing and you put it into something else. So whenever they used the word baptize, it was always in reference to something being put into something else. And this passage makes it very plain. We are baptized into what? Into Christ. We are put into Him, Jesus Christ. Because of that, he says, there, uh, we have put on Christ. We have been immersed into Him in a spiritual way, and spiritually then, we have put on Jesus Christ. 
And because of that, all of the things that might have hindered us from being full participants in God's covenant blessings and enjoying full citizenship and all that brings, those things have been done away because we have put on Christ. We may have been born a slave. And many in New Testament times were born slaves. You know what that meant? That meant they were going to die a slave. But let me tell you something. Though a slave could not, could not enjoy the benefits of citizenship in an earthly kingdom. Could not. <laughs> a slave could be a participant in God's kingdom because they'd put on Christ. And because they were in Christ and had put on Christ then that spiritual position in Jesus Christ just eclipsed, wiped away the fact that physically they were slaves because spiritually Christ had set them free. Women also did not enjoy in biblical times the full blessings and benefits of citizenship. Some might argue that women did not even enjoy full citizenship participation even in our own country until uh, this last century which brought along many, many changes. If you want to make that argument, I would not disagree. It was certainly true in Bible times. But because they'd been put in Christ, the fact that they were women physically did not mean that they would not be full participants in God's kingdom because that was wiped away. They were put into Christ and they put on Christ. And therefore, they're full participants too. They might have been Gentiles. I've already told you this morning, reminded you again, a Gentile could never be a full participant as a citizen and a full recipient of all of the covenant blessings and promises that God had made to His people Israel. But when we are baptized, immersed, put into Jesus Christ spiritually, we put on Christ. And therefore, the fact that physically we are Gentiles does not prohibit us from enjoying the full benefits of being a child of God and a joint heir with Christ. Oh, that's good news, folks. How then do we become a citizen of God's forever kingdom? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are then the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Because we have believed on Him, God spiritually puts us into Christ, and we put on Christ. Water baptism does not make that happen. Faith makes that happen. But water baptism is a picture of that. That's why that only complete immersion in water can be a true picture of what happens to us when we're saved. Just a little dab sprinkled on our head is not the same. We put people into a water because it symbolizes us being put into Christ. We raise them up because it symbolizes the fact that we have been raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. And that person sitting there dripping wet from head to toe in a symbolic way, in a symbolic way, has put on Christ. You understand the symbol and picture. Now, when we then receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we are made fellow citizens with the saints. We get full citizenship. Second thing then he tells us is we get family relationship. 
Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. The word household in this passage is used in only two other passages in the New Testament. One is Galatians 6 and 10, and I've got this up here for you. The other is 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. Uh, Galatians 6 and 10 talks about the household of faith. First uh, Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 uh, speaks of a person who will not provide for his own uh, and especially for those of his own house or household, that is of his own family, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Speaking of a man's responsibility to take care of his own family and provide for them. Very clearly then taught in Scripture. But I bring these passages to you this morning just so you know that uh, when Ephesians 2 and 19 speaks of us as being a part of the household of God, what he is talking about is we're part of God's forever family. We're part of the family. Now, for the most part, uh, being a part of the family refers, of course, to the people that we are related to. Uh, but anybody who's married in this building today can tell you that uh, marriage is a foundational part of family. That two people who are not related to each other can be married and therefore they become family and they have children together. When they're talking about their family then, they're talking about themselves, their spouse, and their kids. And their kids also then are related to everybody that they're related to. Cousins and second cousins and Third cousins, once and twice removed. Whatever that means. <laughs> because then the reason why that marriage is, is so prominently presented in the biblical narrative and why it is used so often in, in so many ways is because it relates to this whole thing of, of having children and of building the family. You see, once we are a part of the family of God, then we can help grow the family of God. Romans 7 and 4, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that's Jesus, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So that if I go out and lead somebody to Christ, or you go out and lead somebody to Christ, or maybe you get married, you have kids, and you raise your kids in church, and you lead them to Christ. And listen, that's something that God's people need to be doing a lot more of, by the way. I, I did my part. Nancy and I, for those of you who don't know, I had five kids. All five of them are saved. All five of them are married. All five of them having grandkids. I look forward to the day that I can say, all my grandkids are saved. Isn't that a great day? Isn't it a great? What have we done? Well, whether it's going out and, 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 and talking to your neighbor or friend maybe and sharing the gospel with them and seeing that person saved or whether it's having kids and you raise those kids in church and you lead your kids to Christ and you raise them up to be disciples and Christ followers, then in whatever way, Maybe you're involved in foster care. And, uh, maybe you're helping somebody else and maybe you're raising somebody else's kids. Same thing applies. We are bringing fruit to God because we are building His forever family. You understand? When we're thinking about the family of God, there are also some other things we can emphasize. Families, uh, for the most part, live together. At least they do for a while. May I say it's not nearly long enough. 
I think about what Jesus said often to Jerusalem. He said, how often would I have gathered you together under my wings like a hen gathereth her chicks? I tell you, uh, some of my favorite times in the world is when I can gather all my kids together and it almost never happens. Those of you who still have your kids at home, enjoy every minute. They'll be gone a lot longer than they were at home. Enjoy it. I know they get on your nerves sometimes. They tear up your stuff. They use your stuff. They take your stuff and they lose it and don't bring it back. Yeah. You can get more stuff. Enjoy your kids. When we think about this great family of God, our times together together are very short. We'll never have a family get-together or the family of God here on earth because only part of God's family is here and the rest of them's in the hereafter. And there's more in the hereafter than there are here. But one of these days, there's a trumpet going to sound and the family of God are going to gather together and we're going to be together forever. And what a meeting that's going to be. I think uh, the angels are going to do all the cooking. I can't uh, verify that completely, but it wouldn't be a whole lot of rest going on if somebody had to cook and clean up after that bunch. <clears throat> but it is going to be a great gathering. As a family, we have the same Father. Remember, Jesus began the model prayer saying, Our Father, notice, our Father had the same Father. As a family, we have relationships with each other. 1 Timothy chapter 5, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger sisters with all purity. Families bond together, and they do so very quickly. Several families in our church are expecting new additions. Uh, isn't it amazing how quickly we form a bond with a new addition? How quickly... Well, I can't speak for anybody but myself, but I formed a bond with my kids and my grandkids the moment that I found out somebody was expecting. Bingo, just like that. We formed a bond. I love watching new believers come into God's family of faith. How quickly we can bond with them. I love seeing them grow up in the Lord. To look across this church this morning, I, I see a lot of those spiritual children. You're, you're newborns in God's family. And I'm so thankful for you. Many of you are older adolescents, maybe older brothers and older sisters. Some of you are spiritual parents. Some spiritual grandparents and even great-grandparents. And let me be quick to point out that those things do not have anything to do with our age or with how long we've been in the family. It has to do with how well we're sharing the gospel, how well we are bearing fruit under the family of God. We pass on our family traits as a family. We kind of all resemble one another. That has to do with our spiritual gifts. I'm glad that in this progression, you see, that's presented to us in this passage, that we don't just stop at citizenship. But he goes on and says, we're part of the family. We have relationship. 
Because, you see, we know all too well that a person can come to a new country and, and, and they're a foreigner and a stranger. But they can go through the process and become a citizen in that country, but even then it does not necessarily guarantee that they'll be accepted or that they'll form relationships in that new country. Let me give you a quick example. Have you ever seen a sign out in front of a filling station, gas station, or a hotel that said American owned? You ever seen that sign? Did you go inside maybe and meet the owner and maybe was a little bit surprised when you saw that the owner was from India or Pakistan? Was there something in you maybe that said they said this place was owned by an American. Let me tell you something. If that person has immigrated to this country and met this country's legal requirements for citizenship, then they're as much a citizen of this country as you and I are, and they have every right to put American-owned <coughs> out in front of their place of business because they're Americans. If they have gone through the citizenship process, they're now naturalized citizens. And in fact, in this country, as far as I know, the only thing that a naturalized citizen can't do is run for the President of the United States. It's the Constitution. We didn't put this in 20 years ago, young people. Okay, Founding fathers put that in all those many decades ago, centuries ago that the president must be a natural-born citizen, either born here or born to parents who were citizens. Everything else, as far as I know, a naturalized citizen has the same rights and privileges that you and I do. I bring that up to you this morning just so, and I did it as tactfully as I knew how because I know that I'm walking through some loaded territory politically. I just wanted you to know that being a citizen does not guarantee that a person will be accepted and that they'll have relationships. You can become a citizen and yet still be treated like a foreigner and a stranger, but not in God's forever kingdom. In God's forever kingdom, you get in by being born again. Second birth takes precedence over the first birth. Our spiritual relationship in Jesus Christ then takes care, takes precedence over whatever our physical characteristics or traits might have been. So that in God's forever family, we can all be not only citizens, but we're part of of the household of God. Now, that is the biblical truth. But like any biblical truth, uh, churches can sometimes struggle in the application of it. We can say that we love everybody, and yet churches sometimes aren't very loving. We can talk about how I've seen churches with a sign out on front, had it on their sign, friendliest church in town. But then I go in that town, that church, and just because they had it on the sign, 
don't necessarily mean that they're actually living it out. So many things that the Bible requires of us as God's people, but churches can be very deficient in living it out. But folks, I want you to know that this is a principle that I pray constantly over us as God's people and over this church. We'll see more about the application to the church in the next message because I don't have time this morning to go into the building, how we're being built together as a habitation of God through the Spirit, and that speaks specifically of the role of the local church in this matter. I don't have time for all that today, but I do have time for this. Every time a new person walks into this church, then we've got an opportunity to meet someone new. And it's up to us to decide whether we're just going to be initially friendly, and I hear over and over again, and I'm very thankful that I am able to hear this, that at least initially our church is friendly to folks, and that's good. But it has to go beyond that. Because when God brings somebody to our door, when they walk in down and they're joining this church, maybe they're saved, maybe they're baptized, maybe they're moved here and joining from somewhere else. It's up to us as a church family as to whether we're going to live this out enough or not. Or whether we'll be satisfied just saying, well, somebody's a citizen. <laughs> They've joined. They've got the name on the roll or whether they'll have relationships. If they're going to have relationships in our church, then we're going to have to open our hearts to them, open our homes. We'll have to go beyond just that casual greeting, hello, how are you, to open our hearts and build relationships and be a true family of God. And I hope we always will be. We have to work on it. It's easy for us to settle down with our friends and the family and the folks that we already know. It's so easy for churches to do that. Let's make it our goal to live out what Jesus Christ died for us to have. A place where people don't just belong, but where they have relationships one with another. I can't say that we're doing all of that we can, but I can tell you we work on it all the time. We're trying. You have a responsibility. Maybe you're new here. You have a responsibility too. After all, the Bible says he that would have friends must what? Show himself to be friendly. Yeah, you gotta, you got to have a part too. You can't just... Uh, but I don't want to leave people... Do you ever play on the playground and look out and somebody else is over there playing? And you're kind of standing there watching. As an adult, when you see kids doing that, you know what that kid standing there watching wants. He wants somebody to say, hey, come play with us. Maybe he's bashful. He's afraid to ask. Maybe he's been turned down. Maybe he's not the best player. But he longs to be asked. We don't want to be a church that's constantly leaving people on the outside looking in. Ask them. Come go to lunch with us. 
Ask them. Come over to my house. Hey, we're going here. We're doing that. Invite people. That's how we move from just being citizens to having a relationship, being in the family. Now, if I've kept you too long this morning, I would almost say I'm sorry, but I can't. I did divide this into two sermons. I I had pity on you. It is Memorial Day after all. Almost. But the principles that we have here are important. There's a lost world out there that need Jesus Christ. And a lot of times what they're looking for most is acceptance. I'm glad that I can preach to anybody, man, woman, boy, or girl, no matter how old they are, no matter what nationality they are, no matter what their background is, I'm glad that I can tell them that God will accept them because Jesus said that he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. God help us to be the church that lives that out so that we'll accept the ones that God has accepted. Let's stand together.